Hello, and welcome to Covered Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button was a short story written by F. Scott Fitzgerald, published in Collier's Magazine in 1922. And the film adaptation was directed by David Fincher and came out in 2008. And here we are doing a short story to Uh movie adaptation for a very specific reason. Yes. See, we are getting married in one week from when we're recording this. Yeah. And it'll be coming out after we've been married. Yes. Which is crazy. And because we're (laughs) absolutely insane, we refuse to take any breaks from the podcast. (laughs) And decided, well, we can at least, like, give ourselves, like, a short story adaptation to discuss (laughs) uh, since things are getting a little hectic right now. But, yes, Mm -hmm. that is what is going on in our lives right now. Yeah. We're very excited that we'll be married soon. Mm -hmm. And Um, that all of this will be over. (laughs) (laughs) Wedding planning is not exactly fun. No. Um, But what better way to start off our marriage than a story about... Two people who can just not make it work. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Uh, Also, it is worth noting that we have done one other F. Scott Fitzgerald story in the past, namely The Great Gatsby. So you can find that episode. We've also done three David Fincher films. Three. Uh, Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Gone Girl and Fight Club. Oh, I forgot about Fight Club. I did too, which is our second episode ever. Oh my gosh. So I don't know if that one's any good or not. (laughs) Hey, this is an advertisement for other Cover to Credits episodes. You know, Go and we, listen to them. We have so many now that so many, a lot of people uh, don't, you can actually search, I think, on Spotify. Yeah. Which you, you should if you're curious if we've done an episode, because we get requests a lot like, oh, you should do this one. And it's like, we y- did. We did already. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to remind people of what's out there. Yeah. So go and listen uh, to those episodes if you haven't yet. And Ian, let's start um, in on this episode here, on this very short story that was somehow turned into a movie that is two hours and 40 minutes long. Yeah, that's David Fincher, baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the rare instances where sometimes the deciding factor for me on it, if a book or movie is better or not yeah is just the fact that the movie's shorter if i if we didn't like the adaptation yeah. if we didn't like either i'll sometimes be like well the movie takes like two hours to watch yeah this is one of the rare instances where it is probably quicker to read the book <laughs> oh it's definitely it's quicker. definitely quicker than to watch the movie <laughs> so you know who knows that might swing us in the other direction this time <laughs> So uh, this movie has kind of an interesting framing narrative for the story as a whole, which when we we begin the movie, it is of an older woman who is dying in the hospital. Mm -hmm. She is with her daughter and it is in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina is uh, just ramping up. Yeah, it takes you a while. At least it took me a while to figure out that it was Hurricane Katrina coming. And I'm like, (laughs) is this in poor taste? To have Hurricane Katrina be in this movie as, like, a side thing? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I never really considered that. Yeah. It's interesting because, actually, the original script for the movie had the film take place in... Where's the book take place? Baltimore. Baltimore. Mm -hmm. That's where the movie was originally supposed to take place. But then the filmmakers took it to uh, New Orleans due to the inspiring 
benefit of tax incentives <laughs> because it was after Hurricane Katrina uh, and they wanted to lure the film industry back into the city. And so they offered huge tax incentives. That makes sense. So they were like, yeah, let's fucking take it to uh, New Orleans. Yeah. It's and, an interesting device, though, I think. Yeah. To, to have, you know, this older woman who's dying and her daughter there and then have this disaster happening and it's interesting too because we find out that the woman's name is daisy her daughter's name is caroline and daisy is asking her daughter if she can read this book to her and it turns out to be a diary yes before we get into the diary though we get this interesting other story that daisy tells yeah of this blind clockmaker Mm -hmm. who was commissioned to create a new large clock in a train station that was just built. And this was like right after World War One, mm-hmm. And the clockmaker and his wife had a son who was in the war and was killed. Yeah. And he creates this clock and it's unveiled. And to the surprise of everyone at the unveiling, it is running backwards. Mm-hmm. And the clockmaker gives this kind of like short speech about saying that Maybe if the clock is running backwards, they can rewind the war and all the lives of the young men that were taken overseas and that they can return home. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this like really sad, brief speech on the subject. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say as an art piece, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Great, great artistic statement. I know. Especially like (laughs) pretending to make something for like the government or like the state (laughs) and then being like, just kidding. Yes. And publicly (laughs) announcing what it's about. So now they can't change it. Yeah. Because then they'll seem like assholes. (laughs) So I, I really like this, like, and this isn't a character in the story. This is just kind of a thematic what would you call it? Like prologue to the story? Yeah, it's almost like um, this is sort of a metaphor for yeah. Benjamin Button's life itself, you know, because this was commissioned right when Benjamin was like about to be born. Yeah. And then the clock is taken down like right when he dies. So it's very much like, is the clock fueling his yeah, life? Yeah, yes. You know? I mean, there is a lot of like magical realism yeah. in the movie, I want to say. Yeah. Specifically like... You know, he's this man aging backwards, but like some people kind of talk about it, but a lot of people are just like, eh, you know what it is, what it is. Yeah. Like there's a lot of more acceptance of it as just kind of something that's happening. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so between that and like this clock element, there is this kind of magical quality to the story. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the birth of Benjamin Button. They're very different in the book and movie. Mm-hmm. So in in the movie, we have Benjamin being born his mother dying in childbirth. Yes. His father taking one look at him and being like, this is the grossest old man (laughs) baby I have ever seen. And I'll admit, I think he is disgusting looking. Yes, he's not appealing. I made the comment that he looks like a tiny Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Good. Good. So the dad snatches up baby Palpatine. Yeah. Goes to throw him in the river and then maybe has a change of heart slash is chased away by a cop. Yeah. And ends up deciding to leave him on the doorstep of an old folks home. Yeah. And let's contrast this a little bit to the book. Because (laughs) the book, it's so funny because this movie is such a drama, right? Yeah. It's very kind of like this romantic drama. And the short story is like... Look at this absurd farcical <laughs> situation and how people react when they're uncomfortable in high society. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> and it really starts off like 
to the most degree in the book at the beginning. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you know, in the film, Benjamin Button is like the size of a baby. And as he grows, he's still kind of like tiny, even though he's like an old man. Yeah. When the dad goes to see his newborn son, there is a full grown old man in the crib in the crib with like a long beard and he's talking yeah and (laughs) And he's like i guess you're my father and he's like what the fuck is happening and i love (laughs) all the nurses and the doctors are just like you have to get him out of here Like, they're all really mad. Yeah. They're like, why would you do this to us? And the dad is like, I don't how, I don't know how to fix this. Get him some clothes and get him out of here. No one talks about the mother pushing out this five foot four no. old man. No like, one talk- that, that is not addressed at all. And in fact, what they're more concerned about is uh, cutting off his beard Dyeing his hair black so he looks like a tiny child. <laughs> As if that's going to, like, help yeah. at all. Yeah. It really reads like a rolled doll book at the beginning, I though. know. And it, I mean, it is that kind of humor, though. It's, like, this really absurd, the dad, like, is trying to make this, like, old man act like a child. Yeah. He's trying to make him play with, like, other children. Mm-hmm. I love at one point they accidentally break something. Yeah. And the old man can tell, like, his dad is kind of happy about it, <laughs> that he's being, like, a rambunctious child. And so then he, like, occasionally will break things, like, on purpose, <laughs> just to, like, make the dad, like, happy. Yeah, it's what the dad wants. I do think it's funny because this old man Benjamin Button gets along really well with his grandfather. (laughs) Yes. So the two of them like smoke cigars, (laughs) sit around and like talk about the day, rock in their rocking chairs and read books and stuff. And this is kind of paralleled a little bit in the movie where Benjamin Button is dropped off at an old folks home. Mm -hmm. And the couple that run the old folks home is a black couple. And the woman, Queenie, is played uh, by Taraji P. Henson, mm-hmm. who's so famous and awesome and super talented. Yeah. And I really like her in this. And Mahershala Ali is in it, too. Yeah. As kind of her love interest. And mm-hmm. he obviously went on to win, like, back-to-back supporting actor Oscars. Yeah. So, great. Some awesome talent yeah. here, for sure. But they take, you know, little Benjamin Button in and... You know, Queenie, we find out, can't have children. And so she kind of looks at Benjamin as a miracle. She has very strong belief in God and religion and raises Benjamin that way and and always believes that God will help him and cure him because the doctor tells her that he's going to die, right? He looks like he's going to die. The doctor's like, his joints are bad. He has cataracts. I mean, he basically is functioning as like an old man. Mm -hmm. And so Benjamin is growing up. He's like in a wheelchair. He needs help getting around. Yeah. And like everyone's kind of like, we don't know how long he has to live. But he's in good company. He's in the old folks home. He's with all these old people. There's (laughs) scenes of him in the wheelchair sitting next to the other old people on the porch, you know? There is a lot of good humor in this movie. And that's something that, like, I don't think David Fincher gets a lot of credit for as a director, is that, like, a lot of his movies have a lot of humor in them. Yeah. Despite how dark the subject matter is. (laughs) I know. In a lot of his films, like, Gone Girl, there are so many funny funny moments in Gone Girl. Yeah. And and this is a movie that he gets to, like, even though it is very um, earnest in a lot of ways, there's still a lot of humor in it. Like, I love when one of the old women sees like old baby Benjamin Button she says like oh he looks just like my (laughs) ex-husband 
another one of the best characters in the nursing home is this old man who t- says, "Have I ever told you I've been struck by lightning seven times?" Oh my god, this and was so great. Each time he recounts it, we get this cutaway to like old timey like Edison film, yeah, of him on the roof in his car in a field and it's always him explaining it like yeah i was just minding my own business in my car got struck <laughs> by lightning i love that this pops up throughout the movie right yes. we only hear about two of his lightning times here at the beginning and then each time we come back to him we're given one more <laughs> lightning strike and a little flashback scene yes i really love though thematically how this ties into the movie kind of this idea of like you know, he was struck by lightning seven times, yeah. seven being a lucky number. And at one point he says, like, it's it was it reminded me how lucky I am to be alive. Yeah. And kind of this concept of like within the unlucky events of our life is kind of this ironic fortune of just being alive yeah. and getting to continue mm-hmm. and kind of those things going hand in hand and like this man's like being struck by lightning so many times (laughs) being such a great and absurd embodiment of that idea yes luck and misfortune Mm -hmm. yeah and and they're also just really funny scenes oh yeah they're hilarious and and every time you forget about him he like pops back up (laughs) there's also another sweet old woman who uh moves in who teaches benjamin how to play the piano Mm -hmm. um and kind of becomes a Another figure in his life, another kind of parental figure. Yeah. We also get a scene of Benjamin walking for the first time. Yes. Um, Queenie takes him to, it looks like a tent revival yeah, is what it is. Yeah. Um, but it's like an African-American congregation with an African-American pastor. And he's very much of the, uh, like, pray over you and then, like, push you down. Like <laughs> push you. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit. Not push him. The whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's really funny um, when he's trying to get uh, Benjamin to stand up out of his wheelchair and walk. And this scene is also hilarious because while Benjamin is actually, like, walking for the first time and, like, everyone's celebrating, the pastor keels over dead. <laughs> Once again, the fortune and the unfortunate and like the idea that death is kind of like always around the corner for a lot of these characters. Yeah. Something we have to address and probably now because it's most prevalent at the beginning of this film. Mm -hmm. And that is the use of CGI in this film. Yeah, because they're making Brad Pitt look old. Yes. And then they have to make Brad Pitt look young Uh later. A lot of... CGI special effects usage. And I mean, this is another area where David Fincher was the perfect directing choice for this. Yeah. Because he's a director that really uses a lot of CGI in his films, but like in such a subtle... Meticulously. Yes. And in such a subtle way that most people don't think of him as being a director like that. Yeah. I mean, something that we talked about in our other episodes is that every time there's blood in a David Fincher movie, it's CGI. Yes. And the fact that he just refuses to work with blood... Because mm-hmm. he wants control over it so deeply yeah. that he needs to have, like, his own inserted CGI blood. Yes, it's too unpredictable of an element. And yeah. also, he likes doing a lot of um, takes in movies. Yeah. And so that allows him to, Resetting do, it e- wouldn't work. to do more takes. Um, also, I mean, the Winklevoss twins and the um, social network, that was a whole CGI thing that I think people forget about. Yeah. So this was a really strong skill that he brought to the table mm-hmm. with this movie. So 
what they did for a lot of it was they filmed a lot of these old man scenes with actor stand-ins that were like relatively the size of Benjamin Button at this time. They had like a blue hood on their heads and then they filmed the scenes and then Brad Pitt later after they were filmed and everything would watch the playback of the scene cameras recorded him and he would read the lines Mm. and kind of give like the facial performance that they wanted for the scene and then they would manipulate and animate the what was a fully cgi old man head made to look kind of like brad pitt onto the body (laughs) of the person that was standing in for these scenes oh my god on top of that you have a lot of de-aging um cgi de-aging done on kate blanchett yes in the film as well Mm -hmm. and you know Overall, it holds up really well. It does. For this being a 2008, <laughs> yes. This is we're in the age of really bad CGI here. <laughs> yes. But it is excellent. And like there are some moments where it feels a little odd and the faces look a little weird and I always I don't know why, I just felt like Kate Blanchett Looked weird the whole movie. I think it's that, you know, they're de-aging her and those subtle changes I think just make her look like a little different. Like a little off. Yeah, and I think it's just that she's supposed to be younger. Yeah. And you're just kind of, like, not used to that completely. With, like, the old man, it's like you're, you know that he's supposed to look old. Yes. Yeah, but when she's supposed to look young, you, you kind of forget that she's supposed to look young, and mm-hmm. you just think that she looks different. Yeah, you know, it's it reminds me of in Looper, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt was yeah. in that movie. Because they put uh, prosthetics on him to look like Bruce Willis, or more like Bruce Willis. And I remember watching the trailer, and I'm like... That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? But why does he, <laughs> why does he look so he weird? He looks so different, right? Doesn't that's not how he looks? <laughs> yeah, that part, like with Kate Blanchett, like it looks fine, but I just felt like it was kind of off for me because it's not what I was expecting. But yeah, know? I get that. I mean, honestly, I think part of the advantage is that you know, I think hers is a little not, I don't want to say not convincing, but a little more noticeable just because it's a subtle shift. Yeah, and I think with um, Old Man Benjamin, it helps that he's like supposed to look like a really wrinkled textured character that yeah i mean looks kind of like brad pitt but not a lot yeah and i think for that reason it maybe gets away with it more Mm -hmm. i mean even today cgi faces are still really prevalent in movies and they're still hit and miss sometimes yeah and so the fact that i mean god fucking um tarkin in rogue one yeah like that I don't not good. No, like I mean, part of it's the prep and how much money and time they have to invest in it, you know, yeah. and the skill behind the CGI. But yeah, I was really surprised by how strong the CGI still holds up today. Yeah, it was very good in this movie. Um, should we talk about Benjamin meeting Daisy for the first time in the movie? Yes, he sees a young girl age. 12? Yeah. Red hair and is just kind of enamored with her. Daisy is there visiting her grandmother. And so Mm -hmm. she kind of keeps coming back to the house for visits and stuff like this throughout the film. Yeah, the two of them get along right away. And I think it's interesting to point this out that Benjamin looks like an old man. Yes. But he has the mind of his age. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. This is not how it is in the short story. No. You know, when he comes, like we were saying, when he comes out of the womb, (laughs) he is talking. Yeah. He is an old man. He smoked. He already has a taste for cigars. Yes. Like he's really just. An an, old man. Right out the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the film, like you were saying, he still has the mind of a child. He still has that... I think it's a balance. Yeah. Like, there are qualities of him that just feel kind of like 
part of it is just being old and tired. Yeah, I think it's his physical limitations, yes. right? Like he can't get up and run when he's a child because mm-hmm. he's in a wheelchair. He does. You do see him playing with toys, though, even yes. though he can't really move around. So I, I do think that's interesting, this idea of his body being the limitation and his mind kind of growing naturally. Yeah. So... The fact that he has a child's mind at this time means that he and Daisy get along really well. Her grandma yells at them for hanging out. And we get this moment with Benjamin and Queenie where she talks to him about being different. Yeah, I liked the movie acknowledging that this dynamic, like, is kind of weird. Yeah. Like, that scene where they're under the table in the middle of the night, and you're like... This is creepy, right? Yeah, you're like, I get it. Like, (laughs) nobody's doing anything wrong here, and, like, they are basically two children just hanging out. But, like, obviously the grandmother being, like, stay away from her. Yeah. And Queenie having to have a talk with him. Like, I appreciated the movie kind of being like, yeah, no, we get it. (laughs) Yeah, and as he gets older, he ends up... Working on this tugboat. Yes. With Captain Mike. (laughs) Captain Mike is such an absurd over the top character, but he's so great. Yeah. I love at one point he he goes on this tirade about like he didn't want to work on a tugboat. He wanted to be a captain and like all this other stuff. And Benjamin's like an artist. Yeah, an artist. And Benjamin's like, but you do work on a tugboat. (laughs) (laughs) Just not getting it. Uh but there's this also really funny scene where like Mike doesn't know that Benjamin is a child. Yeah. At least there's never a scene where they talk about that. Or he's like a teenager at this point, right? Yeah, no, he's older than that, yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Benjamin is explaining to the captain how he's never had sex before. Yeah, and, and the captain thinks this is such a tragedy yes. for this old man to have gone through his whole life and never had sex. He's like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so the captain, in all his wisdom, takes Benjamin to a brothel. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this scene. Like, it is funny, but also it's creepy to just see the visual of this old man showing up to this brothel and this poor, <laughs> poor prostitute having to be like, all right, let's let's go up. Like, I'm you know, I mean, <laughs> I hope he paid her well. That's he sh- all I'm yes. saying. It is one of those scenes again where it's like no one's like I know Benjamin is probably like 14 mentally at this point. Maybe like 15 or 16. To be yeah, charitable. Yeah. And it's like no one's doing anything wrong. Obviously, this worker just thinks he's an old man and like he's just like, yeah, sure, I'll have sex. And, yeah. But yeah, no, it is a little <laughs> weird still. Yeah. Uh, but kind of funny in its own way. Yeah. So also around this time, leaving leaving the brothel that very night, a man pulls his car up to Benjamin and it's his dad. Yeah. Which Benjamin does not know who he is. He asks Benjamin if he wants a ride and they end up getting a drink together and they kind of sit down and have a chat. Yeah. And it seems like the dad is trying to get to know him. Yeah. And you can tell that he he does know that this is his son. He didn't just be like oh do you just need a ride you know it wasn't a coincidence like he did recognize him and has maybe been keeping an eye on him yeah this whole time like from a distance and he just kind of says like oh i'd like to hang out with you occasionally here and there and we find out his name is thomas buttons Mm -hmm. or just button (laughs) but his company is called buttons buttons yeah uh because (laughs) he makes buttons Thank you, Ian. You're welcome. I mean, people might not realize it's as literal as that. Yeah. 
Uh, but we kind of do find out that he's kind of a wealthier man and owns his own business and is kind of not an elite, but yeah. ha- has money to his name. And that mm-hmm. he wants, he asks Benjamin, like, do you mind if I come around from time to time and, and see you? And this is also where Benjamin gets his first taste of alcohol. Yes. And it's so funny because, like, he's just had a night of debauchery, <laughs> like yes. drinking and going to a brothel. And he, <laughs> he shows up late at home throws up on the stairway. I know. And Queenie's like, where have you been? (laughs) (laughs) Like berating him like a child. Yeah. It's very funny. It's very teenager. Yes. And when he is 17, he ends up leaving and going with Captain Mike to sea to just, you know, work. I guess, I don't know what they do, scrap metal? Yeah, like hauling yeah. Um, garbage and like stuff from the ocean and like other boats and things. And He ends up um, having some time with Daisy where, you know, they say their farewells. He promises to write postcards to her yeah. while he's traveling and, um, you know, keep in contact as they both kind of go about their separate lives. Yes. So he's in Russia. Like, I guess they're stationed there for a while and they're like staying in this hotel mm-hmm. when they're not working. And this is where Benjamin meets Mrs. Abbott. What's Elizabeth. Her fr- Elizabeth. Played by Tilda Swinton. Yes. Yeah. Tilda Swinton. I don't know why. Like, I, I recognize her. Yeah. But when I see her in a movie, there's a moment where I'm like, who is that? I know. Like, she does, like, have a distinctive look, but she does transform, I She's think. kind of a chameleon in film. Mm-hmm. She really, like, disappears into roles. Yeah, this is a really sweet time. And I find this very romantic. I like this idea. I do too. Right? They come downstairs when everyone's asleep in the hotel. Mm -hmm. And they meet in the hotel lobby. And then they'll go into the kitchen or into the restaurant. Nobody's awake. This is a hotel where like the staff is nowhere to be found. Like (laughs) you cannot get anything. You just go in the kitchen. You can go and cook and do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) But I love that it's almost like a fairy tale. Right? Like everybody goes to sleep and then these two are up together. And, you know, they start talking, they get to know each other, they spend more and more time together, and eventually they begin an affair because she's married. Yeah, and this is kind of like that contradictory age thing with Benjamin at this point in his life. Like, he's older, but he's kind of in a different country, like on this adventure, like a young person might be. Yeah. But I think he connects with Elizabeth because they are both older. older. Mm -hmm. And even though Benjamin is only like in his like, late teens, early 20s at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he does find a kindred spirit in her. Yeah. Because he is kind of someone who's, like, very chill and very practical and, mm-hmm. you know, growing up the way he did, I think, kind of instilled these values in him. Yeah. And so I, I like their dynamic a lot. Yeah, it's short-lived, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Once the U.S. is attacked by Pearl Harbor, she ends up leaving. And I think it's interesting because... In the narrative where Benjamin Button is talking about his life, because it's through this diary, right? Yeah. He says something about her husband being a spy. Yes. And I'm like, did he know about the war beginning? And he got them out. I never, I didn't think about that till just now. Yeah. Because it seemed like such a coincidence the night he's waiting for her, she's not around. He goes into the kitchen and all the guys are like, listening to the radio about yeah. Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like that makes so much sense why she just had to leave suddenly. Mm-hmm. Never thought about that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. But the war has started, so um, the ship is now being um, taken into the Navy. So Benjamin Button, the captain and the crew, they're all joining the Army or the Navy <laughs> in the war effort. Uh, yeah, they're they're going out they're to sea to, to, to help the effort. Yeah. Adina, so this is 
I, I was deciding where in this episode to bring up this question. <laughs> okay. Does this movie remind you, and maybe you've read something, I don't know, does this remind you of any other films? Not so much with like the aging in reverse thing. Yeah. More just kind of the narrative structure. It's okay if it's, no. if, if it's a no. I was thinking earlier that it reminded me of something, but now I forget what I was thinking. Was it Forrest Gump? No. Because <laughs> this movie is like identical in so many ways to Forrest Gump. Really? So, I mean, like in, in like big grander ideas. So it, it's a man growing up through history. Kind mm-hmm. of we see a lot of like big historic moments. Yeah. Through his eyes. And he's like involved to varying degrees. And then there's also the aspect of like the star-crossed lovers. Yeah, they keep coming back into each other's lives. Yes. Uh, even if you want to get like kind of more specific and goofy, he starts off as a child that has trouble walking. Oh my god! And needs like help from like crutches to get around. Like yeah, there's a like. Was overall... it the same screenplay writer? Yes, it was. I think I read that when yep. I was looking up information about the film. The guy Eric Roth wrote the screenplay for both of these, which <laughs> I thought they were alike before I found that out. When I found that, I was like, oh my god. He's like, listen. I've got one story to tell, and I'm going to keep on telling it. <laughs> so I, I wondered if that was true, and I looked at his writing credits, and it's not. He's written a lot of a variety of different movies. One of them is one that came out recently that we both like a lot, Dune. Oh, really? He, he wrote the screenplay? He was a co-writer on, oh, okay. on the screenplay for that. So interesting. He definitely has, like, a lot of range. <laughs> I'm not saying he doesn't, but, like, it is interesting how similar. Yeah. Even in tone and, like... Benjamin and Forrest are both kind of these Southern characters that have like an interesting perspective on life and Mm -hmm. give kind of quaint wisdom nuggets throughout, you know? Yeah. So. With like some token black characters. (laughs) Token black characters. (laughs) (laughs) That too. Yeah. um, You know, it doesn't like hurt the movie for me, maybe because I probably like it better than Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, but I did think it was interesting just how many similarities there are between these movies. Wow, that's really interesting. The time in the Navy doesn't go well because uh, they end up in this encounter with a German U-boat. Yes. And they come upon the ship that's sinking. All these people are in the water that are dead. And then the submarine is still there. The sea captain, Captain Mike, just like rams the submarine, yeah. an while they're, explosion. While they're shooting at each other. Yeah. Pretty much like everyone on Benjamin's boat is killed, like mm-hmm. except for like one guy. Yeah. So it's a very shocking and, and sad scene. But I mean, done really well, like visually. I kind of liked this as an action scene. Yeah. And of course, we have, you know, Benjamin Button saying goodbye to Captain Mike. And there's this part here where we see this hummingbird. Yeah. And this is something that's kind of also been a metaphor in the story. The idea of like a hummingbird as being this spiritual thing, maybe a representation of someone's soul or spirit when they pass on. Yeah, Mike in one scene when he's at the bar drunk, he has a hummingbird tattoo Mm -hmm. and he goes on this rant about like, oh, they filmed a hummingbird in slow motion and they saw that its wings do a figure eight, which is the sign for infinity and Mm kind of going on about it. But like, yeah, it becomes this uh, symbol in the film. Yeah. Benjamin Button comes back home um, to the old folks' home to live with his mom, Queenie. He's helping out there. And then as he's kind of just chilling, getting older, he ends up running into Daisy, who is a ballet dancer, is living in New York City and dancing. She 
runs with a very cosmopolitan crowd. Mm -hmm. The two of them go out to dinner together to catch up. At first, she doesn't even recognize him. No. Because he's like definitely de-aged a lot. He probably looks like a 50, 40-year-old man at this point. I think he's supposed to be older. I think he's supposed to be in his 60s. Really? Because later... Like, I thought he was younger, but then they are like, no, he's only in his 40s. And I'm like, is he? Yeah. I think he's supposed to be old. I think he's supposed to be like in his 60s. I'd say 50s. I mean, I think realistically, because I also thought he was in his 50s, but I think he's supposed to be in his 60s. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Okay, fine. (laughs) Anyway, he looks less old. Yes. But this scene when they're going out together is so funny because Daisy won't shut the fuck up. (laughs) I know. She just keeps talking and I would be so mad if I was Benjamin. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I went to fucking war. I have some stories also. Like I had a huge affair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really like this. It's twofold. I like this scene and this idea because Daisy is a, like a real 20 year old or early 20s. Yeah. Like she's like just full of energy. She's full of like adventure and spirit. Mm-hmm. Whereas Benjamin is really more embodying that older kind of vibe. Yeah. Like he's more chill. He is kind of like just overwhelmed by Daisy, yeah. I want to say. And I like this idea that they're just not connecting mm-hmm. because of this age difference. Like even though in a way they're the same age, they're kind of not. Yeah. And. Like, her being a 20-year-old and him essentially being 60 in a lot of ways just is not allowing them to really, you know... Connect in the way they want to. Yeah. However, the movie continues this idea that they are kind of, like, destined for each other. Yeah. But we're like, why, though? Yeah. Like, they don't... Like, I know that they grew up together, but if I was Benjamin at this point, I'd be like... Eh, it's not maybe. gonna work out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, we have this scene where she kind of tries to seduce him and he's just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I forgot my Viagra. <laughs> I think it's more like he just feels like it's not the right time. Yeah, yeah. That they're not connecting and then it wouldn't mean anything if they had sex. It would I, just more be like a sex thing. I agree. He like really wants it, I think, to mean something. Yeah. At least between them. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to. Whereas, you know, Daisy's like, I've been with older guys before. Like, let's, yeah. just, let's just do it. She's like, have you heard about lesbians? <laughs> what, what was that part? I don't know, Ian. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, is she trying to make this like this is, sexy? This is the equivalent of someone now being like, I have a lot of gay friends. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so yeah, things uh don't go super well with this encounter. She he kind of turns her down and they kind of go their separate ways. Yeah. So we talk about the love interest in the book. Yes. So in the short story, we follow Benjamin as he de-ages. And he starts getting along better with his dad as he de-ages and his <laughs> yeah. dad ages. So when they're both about 50 or look about 50, yes. the two of them kind of go to parties together. They're very chummy. Uh-huh. They drive around and stuff. But he ends up meeting this beautiful young woman, Hildegard, at this party. And he's immediately struck by her. She's gorgeous. He becomes 
obsessed with her and decides that he wants to get married to her. Yes. And they have a dance together and she's like, you know, I'm really into like older guys. Yeah. They're just like not trying as hard as younger guys, but they still have like energy to them. And oh God, if there's only like a 50 year old guy who was single that I could marry and like fucking, you know, you know, dad, (laughs) (laughs) whichever one of you is available. And I, I think this is, like, so kind of funny and ironic because in some way you're like, oh, God, of course, this, like, gorgeous 20-year-old just wants to marry, like, a 50-year-old. Yeah. But, like, as you go on in the story, you realize that their dynamic is kind of screwed. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, he is older than her, but he's not going to be forever. Yeah. Like, it is ironically this perfect situation for this exact moment mm-hmm. and but just that moment yes but just that moment and it would be great for any other 50 year old guy except for <laughs> benjamin <laughs> yeah and if she would have chosen any other 50 year old man she'd be much happier. she might have been like totally happy yeah <laughs> yeah so back to the film because there isn't a lot this is a short story so there's not a ton to dissect with it yeah we get benjamin reconnecting with his father yes Which, you know, he's met before. We've seen that. But now that he's come back, now that he's younger Mm -hmm. and his dad is older, his dad finally reveals to him that he is his father. And his dad reveals that he's sick and uh, is dying and Mm -hmm. kind of wants to, like, be honest with Benjamin about who he is. Yeah. In order to, like, leave everything to him. Mm -hmm. And he seems to want to form some kind of connection. And Benjamin is, like, kind of, you know, adverse to it at first. Yeah. But I think eventually warms up to the idea and to his dad. And they seem to form some kind of relationship before he passes. Yeah, it's really sad because the dad talks about uh, Benjamin's mother who died in childbirth and that he was very in love with her and that it really was something for him to lose her. Yeah. And that he had been through a lot, never remarried, you know, lived alone, you know, abandoned his son and that he probably has some regrets now but yeah you know he leaves everything to him i do think it's an interesting scene too with queenie that benjamin has around this time where queenie's kind of like what now he wants to be back in Mm -hmm. your life after all this time she makes a comment like he left 18 bucks with you on the doorstep (laughs) and that's it you know and benjamin says this thing to her like she said something about his mother and he said you're my mother yeah and i just think that's it's very sweet and we get a lot of these moments sprinkled throughout of Benjamin and Queenie. I love them just like holding hands when he's sleeping next to her (laughs) bed. Like the two of them when he's like older and more infirm and like their bond. She's she's a great character and very sweet. And I love that she has, you know, this strong faith in God and Mm -hmm. her religion, but also this practicality about her as well. Yeah. You know, she's, she's hoping and praying that Benjamin will like do better, but she's also like aware of the fact that he might die and yeah. like we have to be like prepared for that essentially. Mm-hmm. So I really like her character throughout this story. I agree. So I guess Benjamin feels bad about how things ended with him and Daisy. Yes. And he decides to go visit her in New York City and see her perform. <laughs> this does not go the way he planned because he shows up unannounced. Yeah. She's like, I mean, I was going to go to this like young people party <laughs> where all the men are going to kind of like grab at me and twirl me around yeah. and I'm going to be like, woohoo. And <laughs> you're going to be like really jealous about it. And then you're yeah. going to try to leave the party and I'm going to confront you and be like, we're just not right for each other. <laughs> and that's exactly and what that's happens. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's again, not what they want. And, 
again, Ian, I'm like, they're telling us that they're still not at the right time in their lives. Mm-hmm. But why do they keep coming back? Yeah, and I mean, it seems to be Benjamin who's pursuing the idea more than Daisy is at this point. Yeah. And it's kind of unclear as to, like, I mean, you know, it might be the fact that Benjamin knows that, like, no relationship is going to be perfect for him. Yeah. Because he's going to keep aging backwards. And Mm -hmm. if he meets someone that's right at his own age, that, like they're quickly going to be going in opposite directions yeah. and that he won't really be able to grow old with anyone. So maybe it's the idea that like, this is someone who I can kind of meet in the middle with, hopefully. And has known me the longest and I don't have to explain yes. everything to. It might've been good to get a little bit of that idea. Rationale. Yeah. Because like during this part of the movie, I'm like, come on, Benjamin, you've given it two shots, man. Yeah. You shot your, sh- or well, you shot your shot this time and she turned you down. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Benjamin, kind of heartbroken, goes back home. Yeah. He rides a motorcycle for a while. <laughs> he gets a sailboat. Looking really good. <laughs> the sailboat comes later, Oh, Dana, okay. I'm sorry. Because we get, two, we get two iconic shots of Brad Pitt. Two hot Brad Pitt shots. One on the motorcycle, looking great. And then yeah. one later on the sailboat, looking great. <laughs> and I'm not sure which is peak Brad Pitt, Benjamin Button. Mm, motorcycle. You think motorcycle? It is... I mean, yeah, probably yeah. the motorcycle. Yeah. It's a little like the leather jacket. Mm-hmm. The outfit. But the sailboat's classier. It is. It's true. <laughs> but like, I know they're still aging up Brad Pitt a little bit at yeah. this point in the film. But like, he looks good even with like the old age a mm-hmm. bit. So yeah, might be motorcycle Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> we get this interesting sequence here where we see uh, and we hear Brad Pitt narrating this series of events on this day when Daisy is in Paris. And we don't know what's going to happen, but we assume it's something bad. We know he goes to the hospital yeah. <laughs> to see her. <laughs> and he begins to talk about, and this is so interesting because he begins to describe these series of events with different people and how their lives intersected with like a cab yeah. driver and this woman he picked up who needed to run an errand and all the little things that happened with like a truck that delayed them briefly or mm-hmm. like the woman at the flower shop uh, was slow because she had broken up with her boyfriend. Yeah. And how all of these moments led towards a, the cab driving past uh, Daisy in the exact moment she was crossing the street and it struck her. Yeah. And he was kind of saying like, oh, if any one of these little things had changed, then, you know, maybe it wouldn't have hit her. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, the interesting thing, though, is that like there's no way Benjamin actually knows all of this information. Yeah, right? that's true. Like these are all things that he could never know, like all these like little details of the people's lives that led to this moment. So mm-hmm. really, it's just speculation on his part. Yeah. But I love this idea because it embodies, you know, a lot of this movie is about fate. Yeah. And kind of the crossing of paths. And I love this idea because this story, which I think embodies kind of a truth that like all these like random little things in our lives do lead to certain outcomes. It can be life changing. Yeah. And it's like on one hand, that seems like total chaos. But you could also interpret it as being, like, the precise mechanism mm-hmm. of, like, fate yeah. that, like, lead to, like, certain things that almost like it was destined. Like, you could almost take it either way. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, he comes to see her in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we know immediately that her getting hit by this taxi is not going to be good for her as a dancer. She's a dancer, right? Yeah, yeah. Her leg is broken uh, in several places, and we are at a time 
when bone reconstruction is not that great. They're like, I don't know, put some pins in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I mean, she's told that she may walk again, but she'll never dance again. Mm-hmm. And this is just so devastating for her because this was her life. This was her dream. And Benjamin shows up and she's kind of like, I don't want you here. Yeah. And you know that she doesn't really mean it. At this time, no. like it's just not a good time for her, and she's she rejects him, and she says, "I don't want you in my life," and it's just because she's really going through something. Well, and in fact, in the present, uh, old Daisy, who's yeah. in her hospital room, tells her daughter like the truth that like I just couldn't let him see me like that. I was yeah. devastated. Like I just couldn't stand to like have him around at that time. Mm-hmm. So she kind of sends him off. Yeah, and he returns home. They live their separate lives for a while. He gets younger. She gets older. He has some affairs, it seems like, or or meets some women, but it doesn't really last. And then finally, Daisy shows up and is like, hey, I'm here now. I want to be with you, kind of. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of finally their lives are meeting at a point that seems right. And interestingly enough, like, I think Daisy's accident was almost like, crucial for them finally being able to like meet in the middle yeah like her kind of wild life and career of traveling the world like it said later but like it was gonna end at some point regardless yeah you can't dance forever no for (laughs) sure and like so it was naturally gonna come to a conclusion at some point and like that was like necessary for her to be able to like meet Benjamin with where he's at in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the two of them, it seems like everything is finally perfect between them. They finally have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, they are together a lot. He takes her on his sailboat. Yes. They go on a sailboat vacation. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. This is interesting because when they're on their sailboat vacation, she asks him what it's like to age in reverse. And I think this is the first time that characters talk about him aging in reverse. Yeah. Like, there have been comments, like the sea captain being like, I swear you're getting younger, or maybe (laughs) I'm just drinking too much, you know? Well, and Benjamin realizes it earlier on, uh, as he's kind of becoming more, like, buff buff and stronger, (laughs) and he tells someone, like, what if I'm aging backwards? But, like, you're right, for someone else to acknowledge it Mm -hmm. is kind of the first time it's being, like, admitted to. I wish that we talked about it more. Yeah. You know? We do kind of get into it later with them about his ideas and expectations, but, like, I want to know how he feels. Well, I think he kind of gives an answer that is appropriate where he's kind of like, I don't know, it's my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have any other perspective. That's true. Yeah. And and it's true. It's like, what else do you say? Like, what else could you say about the subject? Mm -hmm. His life is just on a specific trajectory. And like thinking about it any other way is probably like pointless almost or it's even impossible yeah we do get here when they come back from their sailboating time we find out that queenie has died mm-hmm. i kind of wish they had done this differently yeah i really wanted them to get some final moments together yeah also we get like their f- the funeral for queenie but we don't really see benjamin dwelling on this or no. He doesn't, it doesn't seem to affect him that much because then it's like, oh, and then he and Daisy like built this great Mm. life together. And I'm like, that was his mom. That was the only person who believed in him when he was a baby that cared for him that, you know, believed that he would get better and not die, you know? I'm a little mixed on it because yes, she was probably the most important person in his, in his entire life. Yeah. 
But on the other hand, Benjamin is a really unique character mm-hmm. where he's someone who really grew up surrounded by death. Yeah. Like in the nursing home, that's something that he experienced a lot, the coming and going of mm-hmm. different people in his life. Like, and his dad. And like, he's kind of a character that has this, I think, unique perspective on death. Yeah. Where I don't think it affects him in the same way that it might other people Mm. at that stage in their life because he's kind of been surrounded by it. Yeah. So I take it as more that, like, he is someone who has uh, probably, like, a healthier view of death than a lot of people do at that that point. I guess more... Than that, I also just felt like it was kind of like an unceremonious exit of that character from this yes, story. Yes, that I can't agree with. You know, she was such a, like, yes, a side character and could be a little bit of a stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Taraji P. Henson really puts a lot into this character. She's so kind and sympathetic and funny and interesting. And then we have all these scenes with her and Benjamin, and then all of a sudden he comes back and they're like, oh, yeah, she died. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> You know? Especially because she died the same way that um, Mahershala Ali's character. I know. Like, where he just comes home and like, oh, yeah, they, yeah, they died. They died. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh. I know. Yeah. It is it is kind of an unfortunate departure for her character. Like, it would have been nice if he got some moments with her before. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so he and Daisy are happy, though. Um, They end up getting a house that they live in together. Um, They don't have any furniture for a while. It's very Mm -hmm. cute. They talk a lot about meeting in the middle with their ages, right? Yes. To the two of them making it work. And Daisy is coming to terms with her accident and her limitations now. She ends up opening a dance studio because she still loves dancing and wants to teach younger kids how to dance. Yeah. And they seem to be having like a really good life. And, yeah. And like you said, they're, they they make a comment about this, their ages meeting. Mm-hmm. This is where I like, I, I, I wish there was like a map. I bet there is one I know. online <laughs> that like maps out like how old Benjamin is, how old he appears to be, how old uh, Daisy, Daisy is. is. Because here they say they've met in the middle. They're like in their 40s. In their 40s. Yeah, but that's why I think he was older earlier than like just his 50s. Yeah, that's true because she was like 20. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's confusing. I I agree. Like I think (laughs) at that point you think he's like in his 50s. But then now he's like, uh, and plus like when he was sleeping around. Yeah. That seems like more something you would do like in your 40s at least. Yeah. So you think he's like in his 30s. Like, I mean, if you're considering the, the age backwards thing. Yeah. So, um, yes, but they're, they're kind of at the peak of their relationship here. Mm-hmm. And this is where Daisy reveals that she's pregnant. This leads to a lot of discussions about what that is going to be like. And I think this is interesting because Benjamin is first concerned that the baby could be like him. Yes. Right. And suffer like what he suffered throughout his adolescence being old. Um, And then he's also concerned because he doesn't know how long he can be a father to this child. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of annoyed with this, Ian. Yeah. Because he's in his 40s, right? Mm -hmm. He can be a dad at least until his 20s, right? True. That's 20 years. That's raising a kid. Yeah. But then he would kind of have to leave that kid at that point or wouldn't be able to be any kind of father at that point. Yeah, but that's still a whole life. That's you growing up from the time you're born till you're like 18 in college, maybe 20 even, like on your own, and then your dad kind of drops out of your life. Like that's very different than 
not having a dad at all. But then again, if you're like 15 and your dad looks like he's 25, would you like be able to have a fatherly relationship with them? I mean, at least he would be there, right? This whole thing is like... But it, like, that's, I think that's why he's like, you need to find someone else, like... To raise this girl with. While while she's young, so Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to, like, lose me as a dad. Yeah. And she can grow up with someone. Because, I mean, we find out Caroline in the present, like, she asks her mom, like, oh, when did you meet dad? Yeah. So she never knew that her stepdad wasn't her biological father. Yeah. I mean, that does put a lot of pressure on Daisy. Like, you got to find another man. Real like, quick. Right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, you know, the baby is born. They seem happy for a while. And then Benjamin decides to leave when she's about one. Mm-hmm. He puts, he, like, sells his dad's company and um, his dad's old house, puts the money in a trust fund in an account so that, you know, Caroline and his daughter and Daisy will be provided for. And he's like, find someone else, basically. He also, like, when he leaves, Daisy is awake and she kind of watches him go. Yeah. And I think she just feels like she can't stop him. Like, she's already tried to convince him mm-hmm. a lot that she just wants him to be there. Yeah. Even if he's not a perfect father, she wants him to try. But he doesn't want to try. And that's what I don't like about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think his decision is, like, completely, like, morally good. Like, whether he's somewhat aware of ulterior motives or whether he is completely like blind to other things he might be experiencing i don't know like you also wonder about their relationship yeah like that's got a timer on it too like how long they can be together when she asks him like am i getting too old like do you not want me anymore you know Mm -hmm. and that being a factor because he's he's now like younger than she is Mm -hmm. you know yeah i just felt like i don't know i kind of don't believe him that this would be better no, with him I, leaving. I partially agree. See, this is something that I think is really interesting about this story and specifically the movie is that there are things that you can connect and relate to or it raises questions that you can reflect on regarding your own life, like mm-hmm. about death and aging and things like that. But there's also a quality to this story that is completely its own. Yeah. Where it's like this circumstance, this situation is incomparable to like anything else. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of just have to like take it on its own grounds about, I know like, it's it's in its own universe yes it's like you can't really relate this to anything else like what no. is it to be a man aging in reverse and to have a child that's growing up and what would that be like to be a father and could you be a like reliable father in that circumstance yeah whether or not he made the right choice he does decide to leave them yeah he ends up doing a bunch of traveling in asia kind of living living this like wandering lifestyle and not really having a purpose or a destination or a home yeah i like the way these scenes are shot i also think it's interesting that we don't dwell on this aspect of his life much we don't find out yeah no he's just kind of working odd jobs kind of i mean this is once again where you know some aspects of his life feel like they're going in the right direction in terms of like oh even though he's born old he still feels like a kid yeah but this is one where it feels like the reverse like now that he's in like his his, his 20s essentially yeah he's kind of like traveling yeah traveling around kind of aimless just living abroad kind of like almost having that experience at what would be that point in his life yeah let's touch a little bit on the short story here because him deciding to lead leave Daisy and his daughter 
does kind of correspond a bit to the short story where, you know, he and Hilde, Hildegard, such a weird name, <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. not used to saying it, have been married for a while. They have a son now who's older and like he ends up joining the military, kind of like Benjamin joins the Navy in the movie. He comes back from his military service and he's like, ew, my wife is so fucking old. <laughs> like, that's literally what he says. <laughs> no, he's it's like, true. Ew. <laughs> it's true. Like, uh. I I think this is so it's so interesting because like the movie kind of goes to these lengths to like still keep a sincere, somewhat morally good character of Benjamin. Yeah. Like, even though you can question his like uh, judgment or his yes. motives in some ways, like in the end, it's like, oh, I think he's probably trying his best. And like, you yeah. can still kind of look at this story as being sweet. Whereas the short story <laughs> is kind of this like darker take. Yeah. But interesting. In a funny way. But in a funny and interesting way. Yeah. The idea that like, oh my God, I'm married to like an old lady now. Yeah. The thing that a mo- the movie almost intentionally avoids. Yes. The book is just like, yeah, no, he's disgusted by his old wife <laughs> he, now. He's like, oh, I hate to be in public with her. She never wants to go out and party. Yeah. He's going out and partying by himself. He learns <laughs> uh-huh. all the dances. He's drinking. He's like hanging out with all these women. I think if this was a short story published today, he would... F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald would probably talk about all the affairs he was having. Yeah, yeah. It's not really mentioned, but I think it's implied here. For sure. That he's fucking around, right? <laughs> um, but he's living this wild life, and he's sort of like, hey, I have my time running this business. My son is old enough now. I'm just going to give the business to him, and I'm just going to party. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. He's really just living the reverse experience right yeah. now. He's like in his... 30s or 20s he's just like having the time of his life mm-hmm. not a care in the world yeah and his wife is just getting older and he wants nothing to do with her mm-hmm. and i kind of find this like all really absurd but like very funny yeah some time passes right yes back to the film yeah time goes by as benjamin's away but then he decides to return yeah he comes back we have cgi making brad pitt look Kind of like a 20-year-old, maybe, Yeah, I'd say. He shows up at the dance studio, and there Daisy is with a 13-year-old Caroline. Yes. And her husband. I'm really glad they avoided anything like Caroline being like, oh, who's that cute guy? Like, <laughs> no. I was just like, I was like ready for it, and like they thankfully like did not do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's kind of this like, almost like horrifying moments yeah. for Daisy. And she makes a comment like, you were right to leave. Yeah. And I do find this interesting. It's like, is she just saying this because it's such a shock in the moment? Yeah. Or is there some truth there mm-hmm. where she's realizing like, you couldn't have been her father at this point in her life? Yeah. And that it would be weird for us to be together. Yeah. And I don't know if I could handle what other people thought mm-hmm. seeing us together. You so know? it does raise the question like, was Benjamin kind of, like, making a decision that, you know, had some credit to it. Yeah, it's a factor. Yeah. It's an awkward meeting, but she ends up coming to his hotel room later. Mm-hmm. And it's like they both need to be together, even despite how, like, freaky it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is kind of freaky, but the two of them end up having sex anyway. <laughs> Jonas doesn't even seem like happy about it afterwards. No, it just feels like weird. It feels very sad. It does. It's like two sad people having sex being very sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was uh I think that's where the journal ends. I yeah. think uh Caroline says at that point like the journal stops here. Mm-hmm. And 
we, we haven't mentioned it, but like, you know, Caroline's been reading this to her mom yeah. and she came to the realization when her mom was pregnant that, oh, my God, this is my dad. Yeah. And she remembers the meeting when Benjamin showed up to the dance studio mm -hmm. and she met him briefly. She's like, I remember that man and like that day. Yeah. And so this is like a lot for Caroline, like this whole yeah. like realizing that this man was her biological father and also her mom kind of like finally coming to terms with a lot of this, like literally on her deathbed. I know. And she's like, why are you na just now telling me this? You yeah. Know? It's all really interesting, though. It is to kind of where some of the magical realism comes into play. The idea that like Caroline is like reading about this man who aged in reverse and is like, wait, this is my dad. Yeah. And is like, OK, I would like I there are no circumstances that would make sense for how this would be like a prank or not true. Yeah. But still, she's very like accepting of she's this very idea. Chill. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go back to uh, the, the short story? What's going on with Benjamin at this point in his life? Yeah. So actually earlier in the short story, when Benjamin was actually like 18 or 20. Yes. He tried to go to college, mm -hmm. but he looked like he was 50. Yeah. And so they wouldn't let him in. And in fact, they like chased him like out of the town. I know. I was like, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, but now that he looks 20, he decides to go to college again. Yes. Yeah. And he enrolls and he's doing really well. He's very popular. He likes his studies, and he's a really great football player. Yes, like, his college experience is, like, reversed. Yeah. He's, like, this great football player immediately, just like this legend. Like, mm -hmm. he's doing great in school and his studies. And then by his, like, fourth year, like, he's not on the football team at all. He got shorter. He got skinnier. Yeah. He's finding it harder to, like, focus on his classes. He's he not, can't keep up with his work. Yeah, he's not doing as well. Mm -hmm. So I thought this was, like, funny how his college experience itself was reversed. Yeah, and it's because he's aging younger, right? He's getting too young to actually keep up with the, the college work that he has. He's, like, 16 by the time he graduates. Yeah, it's, like, these formative years that are, like... It, of a person's life and, mm -hmm. and those years are like huge like shifts backwards right yeah yeah and he comes back from college and ends up living with his son because his wife has decided to fuck off to italy she's like <laughs> yes. i cannot handle this anymore <laughs> good for her i hope uh -huh. that she's having a torrid affair yes. in italy uh and then <laughs> uh benjamin doesn't know what to do he kind of is like maybe i'll go back to school but First, he's like, I know, you know where I felt great and I did really well was the military. Yeah. And in fact, like this other war seems to be ramping up. So I'm going to join the military again. <laughs> he like gets a custom military suit commissioned for him <laughs> that like the person making it thinks it's for him to play in. Yeah. Because he's like 15, 15 14? or 14 at this point. Yeah. So, But the guy makes him his like military suit. He goes to like a military base and he was like, what, like a a decorated colonel or something. Yes. And so he goes and he tries like ordering people around. <laughs> and it's this really like farcical, absurd scene where everyone just thinks he's this child that showed up. Yeah. They have to call his son to come pick him up. <laughs> he bursts into tears yeah. as they're taking him away. I think it's interesting, though, because he's living with his son, right? And his son is much older than he is. And his son kind of really hates him. Yeah. Right? He's annoyed by his presence. His son is doing well in society. He has this image. He's married. And he has this dad who looks like a teenager, and mm -hmm. it's embarrassing. And I just want to read this part here, because this is like the whole tone of the short story. So 
The son says, I haven't got time, declared Roscoe abruptly. His eyes narrowed and he looked uneasily at his father. As a matter of fact, he added, you better not go on with this business much longer. You better pull up short. You better, you better, he paused and his face crimsoned as he sought for words. You better turn right around and start back the other way. This has gone too far to be a joke. It isn't funny any longer. You, you behave yourself. (laughs) This idea that they think like, you you better stop this yes. nonsense, you know? And and the, his wife had brought it up before, too. She's, like, mad at him. Yeah. That he's, like, aging reverse on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that, like, he's just, if he tried, he could go the other way. Yeah. And I love this absurd concept that, like, no one really knows how to handle this. I love that in this society, they don't really, like, accept that anything can be different. And they're like, hmm, like, <laughs> everything must be in, in order. This is very rude. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to read another part, too, because... Because this is when um, Benjamin's grandson is born. So in 1920, Roscoe Button's first child was born. During the attendant festivities, however, no one thought it the thing to mention that the little grubby boy, apparently about 10 years of age, who played around the house with lead soldiers and a miniature circus, was the new baby's own grandfather. No one disliked the little boy whose fresh, cheerful face was crossed with just a hint of sadness, but to Roscoe Button, his presence was a source of torment. In the idiom of his generation, Roscoe did not consider the matter efficient. It seemed to him that his father, in refusing to look 60, had not behaved like a red-blooded (laughs) he-man. This was Roscoe's favorite expression, but in a curious and perverse manner. Indeed, to think about the matter for as much as a half hour drove him to the edge of insanity. Roscoe believed that live wires should be kept young, but carrying it out on such a, on such a scale was, was inefficient. And there Roscoe rested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is something else, too, that I really love about this, that the book kind of talks about more, is how Benjamin's reverse life causes him his age to intersect with other people's in like a really interesting way. In his family. In his family, yeah. So when he's first born, he weirdly gets along with his grandpa really well. Yeah. They just hang out and chill and they're like (laughs) pals. Yeah. Then he's the same age as his dad Mm -hmm. and they start like going out and doing things together. Yeah. He doesn't really ever have that relationship with his son. No. They seem to kind of do their own things. But then he's living with his son as if he was his father. Yeah. And then he's the same age as his grandson and like they're getting along and Mm -hmm. i find this like the way his life weaves in and out of his other family members to be like really interesting and absurd yeah yeah. and i i i I like it a lot i think it's very funny it is very funny and nobody really cares how benjamin might feel about all this they're just kind of like oh yeah i guess he lives here (laughs) (laughs) i guess i'm my father's dad now yeah how the fuck did that happen i know nobody really spends any time commenting on how that makes them feel it's just like all right, whatever. <laughs> I just love how flustered everyone is throughout the story at Benjamin's, like, condition and just yeah. don't know how to, like, react around it. They're like, this is very inconvenient for us. <laughs> yes. And they're like, stop doing that. Yeah. And he's like, doing what? Like, I can't not I'm do this. I'm just living my life. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone, Dad. Yeah. You don't get me, son. Uh, should we go back to the movie? Yes. Kind of wrap that up. Eventually, after their one-night stand... Benjamin disappears again for a while until... Be- oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, because the diary has ended, this is where Daisy, who's dying in the hospital, kind of takes over the story. Right. She ends up telling Caroline the rest of what happened, that, you know, several years went by 
And then after, conveniently, Caroline's stepfather dies. Oh, yeah. Um, She gets a call and finds out that uh, social services basically rescues this child living in an abandoned house. And she realizes that it's Benjamin. Yeah, and they're like, your name came up a lot in this journal. And I'm like, are you just going to ignore everything else that was written in that journal? Like, are you just ignoring the entire narrative and are just like, there's this woman named And then I fucked this 40-year-old woman. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I was uh, uh, 60, but I looked like I was 20, and I fucked my wife, who was actually 60. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting here, too, because they take him to the old folks' home. And he ends up living there because he's like about probably like 14, 12 maybe here. Yeah. And it's interesting because like they say that he's suffering from dementia. Mm-hmm. He doesn't quite remember what's been going on in his life. He can't remember his past very often. So again, kind of making the point that he looks like he's 10 to 12, but he is like 70 yeah, in th- his mind. There's still some kind of aging process going on in his body. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's not his body, right? It's his mind. Well, it's mentally. I, I mean his brain though, right? Yeah. I do think that's interesting though because we've kind of said this whole time it's been like his mind is that age and his body is a different age. Yeah. And now we have his body young, but his mind going. That's true. So yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting that we have it that way. But he's living at the old folks home. And I guess we're meant to assume that Queenie's daughter, which is his sister, has taken over. But like Queenie's daughter, they make a big deal about Queenie being able to have a baby at yeah. one point. And then... There's like one scene of her and then we never see her again. She's not really a character at all. And I'm like, they would have grown up together. And I know there was an age difference, literally and uh, (laughs) metaphorically, Uh but like Queenie loved Benjamin so much and would have obviously loved this daughter too for them to not have any scenes together is weird to me. Yeah, or like, what did she know about the circumstances of what was going on when Benjamin was like an old slash young child that was living there. Yeah, I, I would have liked like a, a little bit more from her around this time. Yeah, because she's kind of take she's taken over the old folks home from her mother and now she's taking care of Benjamin too. Yes. And then we have Daisy who comes to visit every day mm-hmm. to be with Benjamin. And then when Daisy gets to a certain age where she's like, I might as well live in this old folks home because I'm an old folk. <laughs> yeah. She's there with Benjamin. I have to make a comment here. We talked about like the CGI special effects in this movie, but the practical makeup is also very good. Mm -hmm. Like it's really solid work on that end. Cause like Kate Blanchett, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't. That's her in the hospital bed. Yeah. An old woman. It took me a while to figure it out. I never (laughs) caught on. I think a huge aspect of it that does the performance well is her voice. Yeah. Because a lot of times like people in old age makeup are just talking like they usually would. And Mm -hmm. it kind of gives away the what's going on. But like her voice is so weak and raspy that like I never for a minute realized (laughs) that that was Kate Blanchett in the hospital bed. (laughs) But even these in these other scenes where she's just supposed to be like, in her late 60s, early 70s, yeah. or so on. Like, even that makeup, because old age makeup is hard. Yeah. Because when you get older, you kind of get more sunken in. Yeah. But when you 
are applying makeup, you're building up mm-hmm. the person's face. You're adding more to it. Yeah. And so a lot of times those two things are like, they're at odds with each other and it's hard to find that middle ground where they don't just look puffy. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie does a pretty good job with it overall. It really does. She looks good old for sure. And like these scenes with her and Benjamin are interesting because we see her reading like a storybook to him mm-hmm. that was read to them by her grandma when they oh, were kids yeah. and like all these things where she's taking care of him and it's very sad and I'm like the emotional and physical labor that this woman had to go through to take care of this stupid man (laughs) like just like a man to make this woman take care of him and I'm like you know what you should have done Benjamin Button you should have sold your dad's business sold the house put in a trust fund for yourself (laughs) You should have set this money aside for yourself. And then you could have had a nurse take care of you as you got younger. You needed to plan. What did he think would happen when he kept getting younger? He was living in an abandoned house. Like, what was his plan? He wasn't thinking. That's true. He he should have made the plan when he left, when he still had his faculties, right? Mm -hmm. Before he was young and reckless. And was like, okay, here's my plan. When I get to a certain age, I'm just going to check myself into this facility where I can age backward with all the care that I need. Yeah. You know? It is It is an interesting point. You know, I was thinking about the fact that, like, on one hand, Benjamin growing up had, like, this really, what seemed like a healthy understanding of death. Yeah. Because he was around it so much as a child and, like, seemed to kind of just understand, like, the cycle of life and everything. But his life is different. And mm-hmm. when he's approaching like his you know, old, age. Er, old age or early years, I think he's freaking out a bit. I think that's partly why he leaves, because he is having trouble like accepting what he knows is coming down the line for yeah. him and understanding what that process is going to be like. So like in a way, he's going through the same Refusal to accept old age and death. Yeah, that like everyone else goes through. Mm -hmm. And I kind of found that to be like a really interesting aspect of this story too. Yeah. Uh, In the short story around this time, we get young Benjamin Button going to kindergarten with his grandson Mm -hmm. because the two of them are five at the same time. And I love this callback because earlier in the short story, they talked about uh, Benjamin Button's dad sending him to kindergarten yes. when he's an old man and he's just like really bored and is sitting there and like hates it. Yeah. But now when he goes to kindergarten, the book talks about how he loves it. He's all about he's it. He's all about it. He's like, oh, we made all these like crafts. It was really fun. Like, <laughs> Can I read like the last page or two of the book? Yeah. Because I, I found... I found this part to be, like, really... Beautiful. Really beautiful and, yeah. like, really well-written. And like I agree. For as absurd and goofy and funny as so much of the story is, I, like, really loved this part. Yeah. So um, this is, like, the last couple pages. When there were people there, the old ladies would cluck at him, which interested him, and the young ladies would try to kiss him, which he submitted to with mild boredom. And when the long day was done at 5 o'clock, he would go upstairs with Nana and be fed oatmeal and nice, soft, mushy foods with a spoon. There were no troublesome memories in his childish sleep. No token came to him of his brave days at college, of the glittering years when he flustered the hearts of many girls. There were only the white, safe walls of his crib, and Nana, and a man who came to see him sometimes, and a great big orange ball that Nana pointed at just before his twilight bed hour and called the sun. When the sun went, his eyes were sleepy. There were no dreams, no dreams to haunt him. The past... The wild charge at the head of his men at San Juan Hill, 
The first years of his marriage, when he worked late into the summer dusk down in the busy city for a young Hildegard, whom he loved, the days before that, when he sat smoking far into the night in the gloomy old Button House on Monroe Street with his grandfather, all these had faded like unsubstantial dreams from his mind, as though they had never been. He did not remember, clearly, whether the milk was warm or cool at his last feeding, or how the days passed. There was only his crib and Nana's familiar presence. And then he remembered nothing. When he was hungry, he cried. That was all. Through the noons and nights he breathed, and over him there were soft mumblings and murmurings that he scarcely heard, and faintly differentiated smells, and light and darkness. Then it was all dark, and his white crib, and the dim faces that moved above him, and the warm, sweet aroma of the milk faded out altogether from his mind. Yep, that's the end of it. It's very sad. <laughs> it's really sad and, like, really beautiful. And yeah. Like, I love that it's capturing the passage of time in such a, like, subtle way. Mm-hmm. Like, at first it's talking about him, like... Playing. Playing and yelling fight, and then it's describing how Nana would point to the sun mm-hmm. and describing what the sun was that he didn't know. Yeah. And then just, like, the smells and aromas and sights and, like, not knowing what things are. Mm-hmm. And... I think the fact that he doesn't remember his life is interesting and is contrasted a bit in the movie when <laughs> Daisy claims that baby Benjamin looks at her with fully aware eyes and then dies in her arms. Do you, do you know what that reminded me of? What? Baby Renesmee oh my God. in Twilight looking at Jacob yeah. with, with haunting adult eyes. It's not good. Yeah. I. The movie it does, like, it is sad. Yeah. And I think an interesting and important part of the story But it also does, I feel like, lose some of its momentum. Yeah. And does kind of feel maybe just, like, overly sincere or melancholy. Mm -hmm. It didn't grab me the way other parts of the movie grabbed me. Yeah. And then we have here, ending the story of the movie, we go back to, like, the present where, you know, Daisy is dying in the hospital. Hurricane Katrina is hitting this hospital. And we have... Caroline being with her mom and then her mom kind of just dying at the end of the story. Yeah. Saying she the, sees a hummingbird outside yeah, the window during yeah. a hurricane, which is like interesting symbolic. and symbolic. Saying goodnight to Benjamin one last time and kind of passing away. And then we get this shot of the clock that was replaced, that was running backwards, and it's still running backwards. It's in a basement somewhere as the floodwaters are rising. Yeah. It's a great, beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of the cinematography in this movie. Oh, I yeah. actually, I wondered if it was um, Roger Deakins. I wondered if it was him for a moment, because it kind of has, like, some of his feel. But it was um, Claudio Miranda. Hmm who has done a lot of other really big projects. Also, the music was beautiful. Yeah. The music in this movie kind of had this, like, whimsical, bouncy kind of mm-hmm. magical vibe, and that was uh, Alexander Des- Desplat, mm-hmm. or Despalt, who who did that. So just great quality across the board in the craftsmanship of this movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it won a lot of awards, I think, for um, makeup and yes. effects. It was uh, David Fincher's most nominated movie, I believe. Yeah, it was nominated a lot, but only ended up winning, I think, in the effects and um, costuming, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're at the end of these stories here. And which one is better? It's really hard to compare them. It is. They're very different. 
and and different types of stories. Like one's a short story versus a movie. Like yeah. the kinds of narratives they're trying to tell are like very different. I want to throw this to you first because I am not totally sure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really interesting short story. And I also think that this is one of my least favorite David Fincher films. Yeah. You know, though, I liked it more than I think I liked it the first time I watched it. Okay. So maybe returning to it, it, it it's so different for him. Yeah. It's, it's much more, like, hopeful and, like, sincere. His movies oftentimes are, like, very bleak. I almost felt, though, like it was missing something. No, I I can agree with that, I like, think. Like, I just feel like at the end of it, I was kind of like, what was the point of that? Yeah, I do think the movie, I, I also don't totally, I think there are aspects of his relationship with Daisy that are interesting. Yeah. Like how they don't quite connect at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I also don't totally buy why they're kind of, like, destined for each other. Yeah. I don't think you get... It, it's kind of riding that idea of, like, oh, they grew up together, and that's reason enough, mm-hmm. right? Like, I always think that's kind of a lazy excuse Yeah, in films. So I don't think that aspect holds up the best either. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I think the movie is a really well-made film with awesome performances and interesting story. And, like, I think... Fincher takes something that was like an interesting concept and then just makes something completely different. Yeah. I think I might say the movie. I think I also want to say the movie too. Like this movie gives me a lot to think about. Yeah. And it should have never worked. No. This movie should not have worked on any level. And I mean, on some level, it doesn't quite nail it. No. But it really does do a lot. I mean, it takes this idea, which is just totally... Bonkers. Bonkers. And and takes it, like, pretty... And takes it seriously, right? Like, there is humor in the film. But I think it gives a good whimsical tone. Yeah. And, like, a magical realism element that kind of, like... Gets you to go along with it. Yeah. And it really raises, like, a lot of interesting ideas and, like, has a lot of interesting themes of, like, death and Mm -hmm. fate. And, you know, even though Benjamin isn't, like, the most interesting character, I think he's he's a character that is good for the story for the most part. Yeah. But like you said, though, I really liked this short story. It was very good. It was way more absurd than (laughs) I was expecting. Like, I've only read Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. So I was not expecting that level of absurdism (laughs) with him. Yeah. But then at the end, it completely catches you off guard. I know. And it's very sad and um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I would highly, I mean, it's 50 pages. Uh, if that. If that. Like, yeah, the print in my book was, like, kind of um, large or the format was small. Yeah. So, like, I would definitely recommend anyone read this short story. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. So we're both going to say the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gave you, like, a little bit more to mull over. Yeah. And ultimately, like I said, I, I, I do like probably every other David Fincher movie I've seen more than this. Yeah. Well, not Mank. It's better than Mank. Yes, it I, is. <laughs> I, I hated Mank. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I I do appreciate it. It's, it's existence within his filmography. Yeah. Just like a different flavor from him mm-hmm. and one that ultimately was interesting and rewarding to a degree. And beautifully made. And beautifully made. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy too that like the visual effects and like everything hold up so well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a movie for both of us. Let's do lightning round. Let's go into lightning. Okay, so first up for lightning, it's interesting because I watched the interview with Fincher about this movie because I really wanted to hear what Fincher had to say. Yeah. And, 
one thing that was interesting was he made this like right after his dad died. So mm. I think there was some interest in the material there. Yeah. But that's not really my 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 uh fun fact. My fun fact <laughs> is that originally there were plans to make Brad Pitt to de-age him or put his face or whatever on the children. Oh no. <laughs> but they didn't Good. because they ran out of money, basically. <laughs> So, no, that was a good decision. That was a good. That would have led to the Renesmee Isaac. It would have. <laughs> but I mean, Fincher also said he's like, I think it worked better thematically anyway because at this point he's like kind of suffering from dementia, yeah, and is kind of like a different person anyway. Mm-hmm. So he thought it like worked, you know, within <laughs> the story anyhow. But also, I think it was a very good decision, regardless. Oh my gosh! So, um, next thing I just have to mention from the story uh we always need to point out the problematic things that are in <laughs> uh-huh, this, this uh-huh. uh early fiction that we read um there's a comment that in the short story uh benjamin button's father makes when he's leaving the hospital with his new old son uh-huh. and he passes a slave auction site because this is happening before the civil war so they're in baltimore there's a literal like auction block where they sell slaves. And he has he has this thought where he wishes that his son was black <laughs> so he could sell him at the slave market. Oh, God. There are other mentions of, like, the Confederacy and, like, the war and stuff, but this is the most overt mention of slavery at this time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to think about F. Scott Fitzgerald writing this in the 20s yeah. and their views of the Confederacy and slavery, which was in their past, but not as much in the past as we see it. Yeah, that is kind of funny to think about. And we're also in the time when, like, white supremacy was, like, really high and Jim Crow was, like, a really big thing. So, like, they're looking back on it as, like, a funny and, like, romantic time, the Confederacy. Mm. And we're looking back at it like, oh, that was fucked up. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say where F. Scott Fitzgerald, how he was approaching that line. Like, are you meant to just be, like, laughing at how absurd of a statement that is from the dad? Because, I mean, like, he is kind of highlighting throughout the story how absurd everyone is. And, like, I mean, it's kind of a little tone deaf or in poor taste, but, like, he still could be, like, I don't know. It's interesting. It's up for interpretation, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Next up for Lightning, there's a moment we didn't mention, but is really great where... Uh, Elizabeth, the woman who he had the affair with in the Russian hotel, mm-hmm. she had mentioned when she was younger, uh, she tried swimming the English Channel yeah. and wasn't able to finish it because the weather was so bad. Mm-hmm. And how she had, at the time, said she was going to try again, but she never did. Yeah. And she tells Benjamin this story. And then later, when Benjamin is with uh, Daisy, they're at a, a restaurant and the TV's on and he looks and he sees Elizabeth, and she had just finished swimming the English Channel. Yeah, and they're like, she's the oldest woman to have done this. Yeah. And I love seeing her, like, achieve this dream. Yeah, and it's so something that she achieved in old age that she wasn't able to when she was younger, and yeah. that fitting thematically. And there's also these great shots at the end of the film we didn't mention where he's kind of highlighting, like, the different characters of the story in a voiceover. Mm -hmm. And we get these just great shots of them all centered in the middle of the frame, kind of just staring at the camera. Yeah. We get the captain from the ship. We get Elizabeth. Um, I think we get Daisy, possibly. But Mm -hmm. it's just, like, this really sweet kind of portrait of each character at the end. Yeah. 
Uh, so next for lightning round, um, in the version that I'm reading the short story from, so this short story was originally published in a magazine, but then it was published in a book of short stories by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And in this book of short stories, in the introduction, he has a table of contents for each short story. Okay. And like a little write-up that he writes about each one. Oh, interesting. So for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, F. Scott Fitzgerald has written... This story was inspired by a remark of Mark Twain's to the effect that it was a pity that the best part of life came at the beginning and the worst part at the end. By trying the experiment upon only one man in a perfectly normal world, I have scarcely given his idea a fair trial. Several weeks after completing it, I discovered an almost identical plot in Samuel Butler's notebooks. The story was published in Collier's last summer and provoked this startling letter from an anonymous admirer in Cincinnati. Sir, I have read the story Benjamin Button in Collier's, and I wish to say that as a short story writer, you would make a good lunatic. I have seen many pieces of cheese in my life, but of all the pieces of cheese I have ever seen, you are the biggest piece. I hate to waste a piece of stationery on you, but I will. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's what he put in the introduction to this. I love that he's like, yeah, people hated it. Anyway, here's the here's the short story. <laughs> anyway, here's Wonderwall. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, what a sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, I know F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of had a very, like, didn't know how to feel about his own work in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, at one point, he tried moving to Hollywood and had a very unsuccessful um, film, career. film career. And, like, he, I, I don't think he had a lot of confidence in his work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on him at all, but, like, yeah, it is interesting <laughs> that, like, he would put that in the introduction for that story. <laughs> Uh, that's it for lightning round and that's it for Benjamin Button thank yes. you so much for listening to this episode it, it really gave us even though it was based on a short story a lot to talk about yeah it ended up being a very rich episode and uh, convenient for us with us getting married soon yes we can not have to read a whole book which is very exciting <laughs> yeah uh, we will be posting pictures of the wedding on our social media yeah. I'm sure um, but yes you can uh, if you want to support the podcast you can find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash cover to credits pod. You can uh, get access to almost 50 bonus episodes at this point. Oh, yeah. As well as monthly schedules, uh, priority recommendations for future episodes. Mm -hmm. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. And then if you have the opportunity to do so, please give us a rating or review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate any support you can give, whether it's through Patreon, through leaving a review, or just reaching out to us to say hey and that you enjoyed the episode. We just love getting to hear from you and knowing that we're reaching people and that you like what we're talking about. It means a lot. Yes. Yeah. Please don't hesitate to send us an email at any point. Uh, Thanks again for listening to this episode. We will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.